This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's time for the Tigers Radio Podcast, the most complete coverage of Detroit Tigers baseball from the high-flying Tigers of Lakeland to the show. All right, welcome into Tigers Radio Pod here at uh, MotorCityBengals.com and Tiger Mind Report. And tonight we have a special guest. It's become now the third straight spring training that the voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson, has joined us on his evening stroll as enjoying the day off today, Dan. How did you enjoy the day? I just didn't get a lot of work done during the lockout. I was I was just getting grumpy, and I just like the heck with this. And I just stopped paying attention to the negotiations. And but I, I didn't get. Long story short, I didn't get a lot of the work done that I should have gotten done. So now I'm cramming a little bit. Always got little projects. I print out ridiculous amounts of things and stuff them into binders and folders. All the feature stories that come out in the spring and. I got my little templates that I like to do for teams called Team Snapshots. So, I don't know. It's fun. It's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of organizing. It's a lot of getting ready for the season. I needed these three days off. I got three days off in a row, and I'm, I feel like I'm progressing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I was going to ask you because it was a whirlwind spring training for sure. Uh, and I, I didn't know if maybe you had gone down there for any of the minor league minicamp stuff or not. But uh, yeah, how does that shortened spring training affect you as an announcer? Not much at all. Just the cramming part of it. But it's just... You know, it's so good to have it. I just salvaged a 162-game season. I do worry of – it's just – it's you're cramming you're cramming six weeks into three, basically. And I just – I do worry a little bit about guys being ready. They're going to be. They have to be on April the 8th. But there's a reason pitchers and catchers report six weeks before opening day. And – you know, they're all just doing what they have to do to get ready. But relievers who work one and two innings, one and two inning guys would like to get 10 or 11 innings in spring. And they're going to get four or five, <laughs> maybe. And, you know, it's not just building arm strength, but it's getting feel for your secondary pitches, which you lose every offseason. Tyler Alexander said, the reason I threw, I took one week off and then threw every day this offseason was because I didn't want to lose the feel of my pitches. And you're trying to also just get your body in sync. And Michael Fulmer talked about that after his first outing. You reminder that that's, that's why it takes six weeks. It's a process to get everything working and all your pitches feeling right. And so I think a lot of these guys are like, well, it's going to be an interesting month. <laughs> as far as that goes, too, because even you look at somebody like today, for example, with the Tigers winning 7-1, Tarek Skubal looked fantastic. Four, four innings, three hits, five strikeouts, and he had a slider – the slider looked just explosive, and he was efficient with his pitches today, which was something that we saw in his last outing. He was working on a little bit, but I know with with the pod, you don't really get a lot of it. You know, it's just the Phillies, Orioles, the Yankees, and, and, the, and the Jays. But overall, a guy like Harris Kubel, who really needs, in my opinion, needs to get off the good start along with Casey Mize, he's a guy who, to me, I, I th- between the Casey Mize and Harris Kubel, this young rotation with Matt Manning, it just seems like already those guys already seem they're hitting their stride already. At least in my, I've said already four times, but I, just, I would agree. I would agree. I had a great talk with Derek uh, a couple of days ago. He just, he said, my arm feels great. He just, you can tell he's pretty fired up about it. And he had a little to-do list this, this off season of things to do, you know, we wanted to, to get better at and, now the change-up's a big part of that, but there were certain things you want to do to get stronger, and just there was so much going on. Think about these young pitchers last year with Chris Fetter and 
and AJ Hinch in terms of what they were learning in the development process and how you get from A to B to C. And but I just think Terry Scruble is ready for a gigantic next step with the stuff that he has. You know, to me, he's like the perfect example. People want to know how does technology play into this? Is there too much tech? Why don't we just tell him to go out and throw? It? And so talk about he's like the perfect example of what the technology does. He takes a sheet down from his locker while we're talking. He's talking about how he wanted to, you know, kill the vertical on his changeup and, and get the horizontal. He wants that fade from her. But then he pulls out a sheet, and he's walking me through the numbers. And I was conversing with it because I talked to David Allende down here about, what am I looking at when I see this horizontal and vertical? But he's, I want to cut it this in half, and I want this number to be double. And he's done that this spring. But that's exactly what, how they use that technology to give them the feedback. And so the changeup to me is going to be a real weapon this year. Like you said, I didn't say it today, but the slider sounds like everything is coming out of his hand really well. He's not going to give up 35 home runs again. He knows now the difference between quality strike one (laughs) and the ability now to, when he falls behind in the count, land a breaking ball to get back into the at-bat. I'm really excited about where he might be. And Casey Mize, the last time we saw him, he was throwing that high fastball, but seen riding fastball at 97 it looked terrific so you know here i am talking about guys maybe not being ready but they're all the starters right now look like they're progressing quite nicely one thing i was going to ask was it felt like two different off seasons this year but uh, you put them together and it, it, the tigers made a lot of moves so i was curious of your impressions uh overall of the off season for the tigers i was just so excited that priscilla said when the time was right he was going to spend and it was pretty clear they're going to go get one of those shortstops on the market and they did you know, they, and they made it. They made an offer to Carlos Correa. Apparently, that was pretty nice, but just wasn't what he was looking for. So, to, to be able to, and that's why I thought it was so important with the, that season-ending press conference in early October. They're like, "Hey, we're, it's not just we're gonna we're gonna go after one guy and hope we get him. We've got to be in on all the guys." And I think that was really smart because as much as it seemed like Carlos Correa would be a great fit here with his reunion with A.J. Hinch, you couldn't bank on him. Here's a kid who's 27 who's going to cash in, and if he wants $30 million a year, maybe you can't go that high. So the fact they were able to pivot immediately, focus on Javi Baez, by the way, has been a six-war player twice and four-and-a-half last year. You know how many players the Tigers had at six-war in the last 30 years? <laughs> Three, <laughs> not named Miguel Cabrera. That was a pretty nice pickup. So I was pretty fired up about that. They know he's got to clean some things up defensively, but he will. They've had that you know, conversation, I'm sure, when they signed him. Eduardo Rodriguez to lead the rotation. I thought that was big because you're putting a lot on three kids. They were leading the rotation at the end of the year, but I think they had that veteran at the top of the rotation for opening day. Pushes everybody back one slot. I think that's a good thing for this staff. And then I love when they signed Chafin coming out of the lockout. I was like, wow, okay, they're, they're serious right now because that I didn't picture them spending, that's pretty good money for a reliever, $13 million for two years, but probably the best lefty reliever on the market. And they went after and got him. And then I thought Michael Pineda was a good pickup. Yeah, you've got health issues there and it just worries, I would say, just because of the injury history. But when he pitches, he's good. He's not just an innings eater, he's good. And I saw him enough last year to go, okay, that'd be a nice little fit in the Tigers' rotation. So I like all the moves they've made. and. Believe me, it was no accident that the first move of the entire offseason for any team was the Tigers trading for Tucker Barnhart. It's A.J. Hinch's baby, that catching spot, and he wants certain things that is in his catcher and to have a veteran who understands how to call a game and who has really good defensive skills. But for A.J., it's all about that ability to call a game, adjust your game plan, be able to read hitters, 
be creative. And we spent a lot of last year trying to figure out, especially once Jake Rogers got hurt, all right, who's a veteran who might be able to help us? If they've got many, he talked to people, do they have these specific skills? And Tucker Barnhart clearly has those skills. And that was quietly a big pickup for, you know, a young staff. And we were talking yesterday with Dustin Garneau about how he's going to approach with the younger staff and, and Garneau's numbers, he's having a good spring. He showed a little of the power surge and he was talking about when he was hitting with working with Scott Cobalt about his approach at the plate. And I think it, it, we haven't seen three catchers on the staff since the early days of the nineties where Sparky Anderson for, I don't, I still never understand three. I understand back then why three catchers, but I still think it's still Every time I look back at history or something I'm like, wow, we carried Mike Heath. And anyway, I, I digress. Garneau, I think is also, I think for me, I think based off some of the things I've seen and, and the way he approaches the game defensively, I think he's going to see a lot more time in Haas, who I think was going to play more in the outfield. Yeah, I'm I'm still very interested to see, uh, and I can't wait to, you know, I get a chance to ask AJ some off-the-record stuff before our interviews during the season. Uh, I can't wait to get to that because I have many questions probably only going to be answered off the record. But I am curious how that will work. It says a lot about Dustin Garneau. He's just an incredible story that he's back and didn't just fill a spot for a few weeks, but got brought back against really all odds when you think that traded for a triple-A guy just because they had a guy who was hurt. But he showed something with the bat. I think they love the idea of a little pop off the bench. They love his defensive skills and his ability to handle the staff. And I'm really interested to see how they balance. Hoffman's still going to catch. He's, how many games can he play in the outfield? I mean, your fourth outfielder, you have to find a spot for that person too. So if it's Derek Hill and it's – Eric Haas, that's two righties for the guys you might rest against a tough lefty for Badu and Green, if Green's the center fielder. So, I don't know. I keep going back and forth. I don't see a lot of at-bats for Garneau, but they didn't bring him back to sit the whole season. They'll mix and match, and they'll make sure they get those. I'll tell you what, A.J. Hinch in the matchup game, he's incredible. I've never seen anything like it, whether it's relievers, whether it's starters, but especially relievers matching up, whether it's playing guys in the right situation off the bench, He's unbelievable. <laughs> so he'll find ways to get these guys at bats. If he got, if he wants three catchers, he's not going to let any of them sit. He'll get them all at bat. Dan, could you tell us a little bit about your first impressions about the defense up the middle this year? We know the improvements from what they've had in the last, say, half a decade with Baez and Scope and Barnhart and whether it's Hill or Green. I think that's probably the story of this team going to 2022 is the improved defense. And by the numbers, I really like defensive run stage just because I think it's a really thorough system. And I do think the teams that end up at the top of that list every year in defensive run save, it's especially good on the team concept or on the team level. Sometimes on the individual level, there's like with Derek Hill, you're like, my eyes told me a little different, but they were, they're obviously very poor last year defensively. I think A.J. Hinch is thrilled. That's a better defense, but it's thrilled that he's got, if Torkelson starts at first, you're going to have four regulars on the infield. We had, what, five shortstops last year, five <laughs> second basemen. There's 153 lineups for a reason. It's not because, believe me, he would love to have a set lineup every day. And he's got that if Torkelson starts at first. He's got four guys who are probably going to start 140-plus games, maybe a few less for Torkelson. But Jonathan Scope at second turns the double play as well as anybody. He, he might arguably be the best on the pivot at second base. So to move him back to second is a plus. 
Javi Baez had a great year a couple of years ago. The numbers have tailed off a little bit. A.J. Hinch thinks there's a reason why, but it's nothing that can't be fixed. We've already seen him make some great plays at shortstop. The athleticism is ridiculous. But also, his history is extremely good, elite-level, turning the double play. That's the biggest focus for A.J. Hinch. The number of double plays that weren't turned last year drove him crazy. Wow. And now you've got two guys up the middle who are at the elite level turning double play. So that's huge. Have to cut down on the errors, mostly throwing errors for Javi Baez. I think they will because they work at it. Whoever's in center field is a plus. Derek Hill, I don't care what the numbers say, and I've talked to enough people to realize that my eyes weren't lying last year. This kid <laughs> can go gap to gap as well as anybody. And remember how big Comerica Park center field is when you think about putting Riley Green out there every day. Here's a rookie who's going to be really thinking about his hitting, and that's a really challenging center field. You log more miles patrolling center field at Comerica Park than you do if you're in Cleveland or Chicago. And so that's where Derek Hill, to me, comes in. And that's why I think you're up the middle defense. is going to be far superior to last year. It might be one of the biggest one-year jumps we've seen in a long time. Catching is going to be a plus. It was a minus last year. Corner infield will be a plus. First base was a minus last year. It's just uh, this is how you win championships, and A.J. Hinch believes that in his heart. You have to be good enough offensively, but you win it by playing tight, good team defense and has to go with your solid pitching. And I think it's going to be – I can't wait to see how much better because if you project it out, it's like this should be a team that went minus 40 to plus 20, plus 30. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a dramatic improvement. It's going to result in a lot of wins. Yeah, I was curious about, you you talked about Riley Green a little bit there. The big discussion basically in the Tigers universe right now is are these, are Green and Torkelson, are they going to come up and start the season? They've played uh, pretty well so far in spring training. I'm curious what your impressions are of them so far. It just felt like early on, especially because they were at the mini camp and, you know, A.J. Hinge couldn't interact with them, but he, he can watch. And believe me, he watches. He sees how guys carry themselves, especially rookies. I remember he was so impressed with how Akil Badu last year came in as a Rule 5 kid who hadn't played above A ball. And just the way he conducted himself, he just he looked like he belonged. He was confident. He quiet, learned. And just the way he interacted with veterans, he watches these things. I think he watched those two during the mini camp. He's watched them as we got regular spring training underway. They're just quietly confident, and I think he sees it. I think he, he's watching. He made the point the other day. They still need to do some things to make this team. I don't think he's just saying that. I'll be surprised at this point if they're not on the team because of how they've played so far this spring. You know, Torkelson, they're both working hard on their defense. Again, they can't just go about their business, but they're confident kids because they've got talent. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be ups and downs, but can they be impact bats as rookies with the ups and downs? Absolutely. And there is some swing and miss in Riley Green's game. But I guess, you know, what you're weighing now, is there any point to sending them down to Toledo to get some more at-bats there? Is there anything they gain? Sometimes you just bring guys up because there's nothing left to be gained. Even if you think they might not quite be ready, the next level of learning has to come at the major league level. And that's what I think is going to happen with these two. And I can't wait to see it. I know the veterans want it. These kids have worked hard. And just the way that A.J. answers questions sometimes, a little twinkle in his eye. Somebody was asking about Corporal's plate coverage the other day. Oh, it's a 1-1. He should be good. There was one other thing. When we talked to you last year, I don't think at the time you were really able to interact with any of the coaches 
And I'm hoping that has uh, significantly changed now a year later. And with that, wondering what you've seen from, there, there are a bunch of new coaches, a bunch of developmental staff down there. I wonder what you've seen from them. Yeah, I, I haven't really introduced myself to Ryan Garko during the mini camp, and I know there's a, there's a whole lot of new people from the sports performance, uh, sports science side of things for Georgia Giblin. She says she's got several new people, and I know I know Ryan Garko came in, and he hired a bunch of new people, so I really haven't met a whole lot of them. I just know that I was going over the conversation I had with Chris Fetter last year and just talking about how they use technology – and last year when we had a sit down and we're going to do this again in a few days, which I'm really looking forward to, we were talking about when you use this technology to you're, you're measuring every movement on a pitcher's body. He said, we do this now down in Florida. So we have a baseline and then we measure them again. But what he wants is the game to game stuff. Hawkeye allows them to do that because if we can show you, okay, your legs, your delivery is breaking down in the fourth inning or fifth because your legs are getting weak or, or whatever. This is what we're noticing, but this is what the, your body movements, all the measurements are telling us. Now we can specifically address it now so that whatever it is, whatever, whether it's your hips or whether it's your leg strength, whatever it is, we address it now so that you can carry that in your motion. Your delivery does not break down as the game goes on. He said, but the great ones, it doesn't. But for kids just still learning, and still learning the right way to, you know, prepare in between. So that's the kind of stuff we did with the Dodgers. That's what really he implemented with the Dodgers. And so the Tigers hired quite a few people away from the Dodgers, I noticed. But Chris Fetter came, you know, then through Michigan from the Dodgers. And they're just, they just have an elite level of being able to use the information, understand how to then translate it to the players if they're not conversant in the language of, you know, technology. But, I just, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Tigers do a better job of developing what they have. Because to me, that's the next step. That's the next edge in this game. The organization, everybody has the tech. And there are different levels, obviously, of analytics department. Everybody's got the tech, though. So who figures out how to use it best to make their players better and develop their own players in addition to the guys that they've drafted? I think that really is the key. And especially on the hitting side, that's what I'm really interested to see. Yes, especially when you look at the farm system in the last few seasons that has, let's face it, after Reed and Torkelson, there, the, it was considered at one point a drop-off. But you look at a guy like Ryan Kreidler, for example, who today made some – Dan, everything he hits, it's just like hard contact, and he's been hitting to all fields and that power alone. But that, to me, is a sign of progress. When a guy like Ryan Kreidler, who a couple of years ago in Connecticut, is a completely different, and he works his tail off, and you see his work ethic, that to me is a sign of progress right there with some of the infield talent like that. And even guys like Bo Brisky, who was a 27th rounder, Garrett Hill, yeah. Ch- Chavez Fernander, who are all late round draft picks, getting better than anybody else. The Tigers have not done well in late round draft picks. Past the 10th round, there's a steep drop off in production. And they haven't done well in rounds two through five, I would argue, for hitters <laughs> yeah. in a long time. I mean, that to me is this is where you hopefully can make a difference. And that's why a Parker Meadows making changes and suddenly looking like somebody who, oh, okay, that's the Parker Meadows we've heard about for years. It's a different looking kid this spring. So again, you develop that guy. You Gage Workman drawing raves for his just overall baseball acumen and athleticism and defensively. And we saw him in a game the other day, make two really nice plays, but I don't know enough about the bat. But again, you develop some position players for those. You should be able to once in a while in rounds two through five, develop a hitter. 
and it's been a long time. I'm talking about college hitters, especially who should be close to the major leagues. It's been a long time since they've done that with a college hitter. But it does feel like you're on the cusp of maybe an era where it's going to be from Kreidler to Workman to go right down the list in the last few years, guys who are going to be able to, to help. Yeah, even seeing Trey Cruz back on out there was one of those short, he was a shortstop. He's got an arm. We saw him one day at short. Whoa, okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, especially that delivery too, like the overhand. You don't really see that very often. Yeah, over the top. Yeah, over the yeah. top. And and getting back to a little bit of the, the younger pitchers too, like the, the tie bands and and those things I'm looking forward to. But as far as the bullpen concerned, we we saw today that it, it seemed like everybody who's back on track was Soto and Fulmer, who's entering is going to be a free free agent after the season. But who is the key arm in the Tigers bullpen that really you think that would, if he steps up, it makes a difference between under 500 season and over 500 season. Well, I don't know about the difference between below 500 and above 500, but a difference maker who I think Tiger fans know about because it was so dramatically different. First time up, it was shaky. Couldn't find home plate. Second time up when he, the top end of his stuff made you go, Oh, okay. I see what this guy's got. The Alex Lang final 18 innings was at times just eye-opening and you realize this is what he wants he's a great kid i just remember the first time i talked to him and then a starter he wants to be a reliever he is fired up at the thought of being the guy who gets the last three outs and so aj hinch always holds that carrot out there hey you want to pitch in high leverage show me you can get these outs early then we'll start giving you those outs alex lang wants it but he's got the stuff with that change-up curveball-fastball combination. It, it can be electric. So I, I would keep an eye on him. I'm really curious to see how Jason Foley progresses this year. I mean, it's a power sinker, but it's upper 90s. And you give Chris Fetter something, like Michael Fulmer said, I didn't know I could throw my sinker up in the strike zone. But that's what these guys – a guy's got a hole up there, and all you've got the two-seam sinking fastball. You still – you have to go up there. You have to learn how to throw it. So what if Jason Foley suddenly learns how to, you know, command a sinker at the top of the strike zone like Michael Fulmer did at times last year, and all of a sudden he's blowing people away at, at 98. Not a big strikeout guy so far, but uh, he intrigues me. And, again, give Chris Fetter something to work with, and he'll figure out how best to use it. So those two, just in terms of guys who Kyle Funkhauser, I think is going to be huge. I thought he was quietly an MVP in the bullpen, one of the MVPs just with – the ability to work multiple innings and the number of big outs he got from the fifth and in the fifth and sixth inning to bridge that gap from starter to the back when Mize and Scuba were going three innings and at other times when guys had short days. I thought he was just phenomenal. And the way he came back after being the first cut of spring was a great story. So those three added to Soto, Fulmer, Cisnero, Chafin uh, has got a pretty good track record. Uh, that's potentially some five, six, seven guys that AJ can lean on uh, in the late innings. And the more the merrier for him because <laughs> that matchup game, he'll play it. And like I said, nobody's better. Nobody is better. You have three yeah. lefties. They can, oh, sorry, Cooper, uh, go ahead. Oh, Dan, I was just going to ask Robbie Grossman, when he came aboard, obviously thought of as a on-base presence for the Tigers for the lineup. Ended up having a career here in a lot of respects last year. Now he's come back. He's 30. What do you think his prospects are to repeat that kind of career year? And how's he look so far? Yeah, I've already seen him hit two home runs. So 
I think when he really made the concerted effort to pull balls more a couple of years ago because those are the ones you can hit for power. He's not a big power guy, but he knows he's learned how to, which balls to attack to drive out for home runs. And it was pretty consistent in the power department last year. Yep. Will they fall back a little bit this year? I don't know. I, he's made changes in his early 30s that have resulted in better production. Now, I know he was mad at how many times he struck out last year. I think that's a number that probably will come down. I think it was 98 walks, which is top five in the American League. No reason he can't continue to do that. And with the development of Akil Badu, it's going to be Badu Grossman, or if it's a tough lefty on the mound, Grossman, and then somebody else in that two spot, I'm guessing. Most days, though, it's going to be Badu Grossman. What great table setters for I mean, what's coming in the middle of the order. So, yeah, I, I think the fall off, sure, there might be some fall off, but I just, Robbie Grossman's shown enough in the last two years that he's made changes that have resulted in a more productive hitter. He's going to draw the average, probably going to be in that 240, 250 range, but if you're on base, it's 360 plus. <laughs> And that's still a really valuable guy. And, you know, stealing 20 bases with, I would, I don't know, I have never looked at a sprint speed, but I would say maybe a tick above average speed. But that just shows everybody else, hey, you pay attention to the scouting report. You pay attention to that pitcher. You pay attention to your first base coach. And you go. And this is exactly the mindset they're trying to instill in everybody. There are guys with more speed who don't steal as often because they're still learning. But you can learn from Robbie Grossman. You can learn from Robbie Grossman any phase of this game, and that's what we saw last year when he came here. Guys are picking his brain about fielding, about hitting, about how you approach all those things. He's just an awesome teammate. Do you want to go ahead and ask the first? We have two questions from our Discord, and one of them was a, I thought it was a, one of my favorite questions in there was the evolving stats that you use and trying to find it. Here, yeah, Joseph, he said, are there any stats you used to use during your broadcast that you no longer employ? And what are the one or two newer stats you would like to integrate into your broadcast more? <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's a good question. That's really good. I am uh, I'm having a, a constant internal battle with the StatCast in this sense. Okay, first of all, there's a lot out there. Woo, there's a lot out there. <laughs> Some of the expected stats, I want that are usable, right, that are they can help be predictive that because track record, you know, your track record, walks and strikeouts, hard hit rates, line drive rates. These are the things that, that I look at. So when I see expected stats from StatCast, those are stats that I just find are not that helpful. Expected WOBA, expected slug, just not that helpful to me. And hard hit rate, I would much rather use the Fangraphs hard hit rate. So it, so I'm trying to figure out what with StatCast is important to use, important to know, and I'm still having that battle. I think I look at it maybe more for pitchers. They have incredibly good heat maps and great graphics. But I was trying to – I was looking at an article the other day. This is going to be a long answer, <laughs> but you got me going on something. Like because this is interesting, right? I'm a numbers guy. I love – we are – the we as announcers are responsible for figuring out what of these, all these numbers are, and I say this all the time, but it is such a perfect quote in the words of Vin Scully, too many people use stats like a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not illumination. <laughs> <laughs> so which of these numbers illuminate? So that's the constant battle. Like the other day, the Steadcast breaks down what pitches you're swinging at, heart of the plate, edge, and then there's two other categories. 
and I just, I spent about an hour on this. And I'm like, I don't know. There are a lot of guys who are minus five in the heart of the plate and yet they're really good hitters. So what is this telling me? So I'm like, I'm just going to worry about that another day. So to get to the heart of the matter, when I'm looking at hitters, I look at the Fangraphs hard hit rate because the StatCast hard hit rate is just simply number of balls, 95 plus off the bat. That's ground balls, line drives, fly balls. You hit a lot of ground balls hard, you're going to have a nice hard hit rate. But that doesn't really tell me that you're a good hitter. Great. I wanted you to hit that ball on the ground. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera, a couple of years ago, was sixth best. He had a really good hard hit rate, but he was sixth best in the hard hit ground balls. That, that doesn't help me understand how good he is as a hitter. Fangrass breaks down hard hit rates, ground balls, line drives, fly balls. And I like Fangrass hard hit rate much better. You get the league average, whether the guy's above or below league average. You understand that a guy who might be below or have a relatively low hard hit rate. I don't think Robbie Grossman has an especially big hard hit rate. But does he get the ball in the air? Yes. I look at line drives rate. Line drive rate is a leading indicator. <laughs> when a guy's got a 22, 3, 4, 5% line drive rate, he can have a low hard hit rate because you know what? You hit a line drive softly, it's going to drop in for a hit a lot more than a weekly hit ground ball or fly ball. Well, so I still look at that. I look at, I'm looking a lot more at, you know, O swing and Z swing on fan grass. How disciplined are you in the strike zone? Your walk rate, your strikeout rate, those walks and strikeouts still, they still tell a story. They absolutely tell a story. Victor Reyes to me has a certain ceiling on his production with a very low walk rate, fairly high strikeout rate, but the guy doesn't have a lot of power. And so there's been a lot of talk this spring. Can he get the ball in the air more? It's really hard to change a ground ball guy into a fly ball guy. It is. And he's pretty close to being 50% ground balls. So I, I do look at the hitter's profile. Ground balls, fly balls, line drive rate to me is a leading indicator. I look at walks and strikeout rates. I look at hard hit rates. And then I think that's your starting point for analyzing a hitter in terms of predicting what might lie ahead. And people were surprised at DJ LeMay who fell off last year. And I saw an article saying the new dead in baseball killed DJ LeMayhew's power. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> First of all, it's the fourth best year for a home run. Second of all, this person really tried to use the stat cast numbers to show that it was the ball. But he was due for a regression because he's a ground ball guy who had an extraordinary number of home runs for fly balls the last couple of years. So it wasn't a surprise at all that his numbers went back to where they were last year because that was basically where he'd been his entire career. And he grew up in Coors Field. So that was more of a correction. So past history makes a difference. So it's a long answer, but there, it, it, that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. But I just you get a little bit too caught up with talking about exit velocities off the you know too much just like that was like he crushed that ball i should be able to say that i don't think fans want to hear 100 and, now if it's 115 i'm going to say it <laughs> but if it's <laughs> yeah. 103 i'll write it down as a little notation in my scoreboard so i can say by the sixth inning he's given up a lot of hard contact if, if that's the case or if he's got a bunch of ground balls or soft little fly balls at 68 i'm going to mention that too but i'm not you can't keep throwing numbers out. You can just say he's induced a lot of soft contact. That's way better to me than he's induced six ground balls under 80 miles an hour. It's just too much. So, 
I don't know. That's, it's a balancing act. It really is. I think that I still think with weighted on base is still, I probably don't use it as much as I should, but if you look at OPS plus and weighted runs created plus, the top 10 lists are just about identical. And if you throw in weighted on base, which is probably the best single gauge, those top 10 lists are all really similar. So I still use OPS plus a lot and OPS because I think you just can't throw too much at fans. But what I should know is I should know these, some of these stats. I should be able to say, okay, that hard hit rate is misleading, right? Because he hits a ton of ground balls. So I've got to be able to put things in context. I think that's my biggest job. And then you can't overstat a broadcast. But I should know the numbers and I should understand them and I should understand how some of these new numbers are being, I think, misused. Yeah, especially because something like spin rate, for example, everybody talks about spin rate in some cases, at least in my opinion, irresponsible because. You know who has a low spin rate? Josh Hader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I went, what? Wait a minute. So it's like, you know, again, I was getting all caught up in spin rate. And I see he's got like a very average spin rate. I'm like, what? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> ridiculously dominating pitchers I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. We get caught up in it. And, and then it's realized you have to use stats responsibly. Right? Society for the Responsible Use of Statistics is a, is a very important society. And uh, they try to make sure that we use these things responsibly. <laughs> yeah, one of the things, one of my favorite things to do to frustrate myself is to to go at baseball reference and go look at path through the lens of modern statistics and see a guy with basically a pitcher with like 10 more season lose to a, a pitcher with a two war season. I, and it, I, David Steve. Yeah, and it's it's because his win percentage was bad. Not just that he had wins. Yeah. It was, he was 20 and 15, so no good. Yeah, war is applied to pitchers doesn't seem to be quite as – although I will say baseball reference war to me is if you add up the position players and pitchers and their war totals every year and then you add it to 40, what, 48, it's amazing how close the act it comes to telling you how good this team was. They had 97 total war wins when you add it to 48. Like I was looking at Toronto and um, Chicago and who were the three teams I was looking at today? Toronto, Chicago, I think. Maybe the Red Sox, but they're all within a couple. In other words, it, it tells you. I'm trying to figure out what, how many good guys over like two war do you need on your team? I'm trying to get the Tigers to 90 wins this year. <laughs> yeah, so I was looking at that, and, and so I do think war is pretty, pretty, very useful. It's not a be-all end-all step, but it's pretty useful. But I, I do agree for pitchers, it's still not quite maybe where it needs to be. Seems like there's still some debate about that. Now it's going to play a part in compensation for some reason, but uh, whatever. That's a whole other. Uh, oh yeah, even I think Sean Foreman was saying, "Please, no, that's not the point here." You're <laughs> <laughs> talking about zero point eight WAR. Come on now. Yeah. Come on. Especially, so, I feel bad for the relievers because there's for WAR. Per- that's a terrible idea. Just a terrible idea. <laughs> but at least we have baseball. So, yeah. 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 Deal with that. So the Tigers open up next week against the White Sox, and we had our we had a White Sox podcast on last week. And out of all the teams' division, the White Sox and the Twins are the contenders. And the, my final question is: in terms of teams' off seasons, we know Cleveland didn't really have one. It was pretty much like a you know it was like a I don't know whisper in church. It didn't really go too well. And Kansas City made some moves, but I don't know. But it, it the White Sox and the, the White Sox had added quite a bit to their bullpen. But talking to 
our White Sox podcast folks, it's grim mm-hmm. down there. They had this kind of really, know, yeah, because they felt because they're not worried about the offense, but Andrew Vaughn's hurt, so he's out for a while. They don't have a trade for an outfielder, I believe. But they really haven't had. They, only, they didn't hit with big power last year, which was interesting. But again, they didn't have. Yeah, and, and even with the Twins with the signing of Korea, they addressed the rotation with the trade of Sonny Gray. And in addition to signing Chris, what I'm drawing a blank on, who's the other? I signed Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy. But I, I think this is an opportunity for the Tigers in a division where Chicago hits Detroit very well, no matter what. But the Twins, I think, did not do enough to, I think, make the play to win a division. I don't know. What are your thoughts about the other teams' division before we Yeah, I, I think the Tigers have an edge over the Twins. And I go to the rotation is the reason why. I think they're not far removed from being really good. But I, I like the Tigers' depth in their rotation better than the Twins. I just think Mize Manning and Scooball are going to continue to progress. And I think Eduardo Rodriguez says, yeah, the White Sox, they're freaking good. I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I'm not quite sure what they're they're fretting about there. And it has to be one of the most underrated pitchers in the American League. My God, that guy leads that rotation with Cease and Giolito. He's just a freaking horse. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is impressive. And I that's a pretty key piece. There. I think their rotation's terrific. The bullpen's good. They didn't have – what they have Jimenez and um, Robert for last year? I think I pulled it up. It was a very small number of games, 120, something like that. If you've got those guys – 300 games this year let's call it 280 that's a huge they're scary they're scary but you know what they didn't have a good defense last year did not improve their defense that matter and i think aj hinch relishes these this is a statement series you guys i'm not big on statement series i think it's way overblown but opening day this is a statement series (laughs) i believe it send a message things are different this year guys uh, a joke, but I think the players actually are secretly, or not secretly, but they're just quietly, yeah, this is good. We get to show Chicago it's different starting on opening day. They're good. They're really good. There were 16 games ahead of the Tigers last year, but believe me, the Tigers feel very, it's one thing if you just, if you did nothing in the offseason, yeah, we're going to contend this year. We're going to chase the White Sox. We're going to unseat the White Sox. That's not realistic. Okay, you finished the 77 wins and you added what the Tigers have added this offseason and potentially Green and Torkelson, and your three young starters who all, everybody agreed when they were prospects, could all be number one guys, could all be better this year. It's very realistic to think that they could chase down the White Sox and unseat them at the top. White Sox are heavy favorites, no question. But can it be a a race this year into deep September? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you get the sense there's a lot of optimism among the Tigers fan base right now. And so I, I know people can't wait to hear you call op- opening day there next Friday. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you spending your evening with us. I know you're out and about walking. So spending this time, we hope it was worthwhile for you. And I don't know if there's anything other I than... I enjoy it. I always enjoy the conversation, guys. You have uh, anything else going on that you want to promote other than calling these games? <laughs> no, just can't. I'm so glad we... Even though we did lose a, a couple of days of the All-Star break. <clears throat> I'm just so glad we have 162-game season, and I can't wait. I, I think this ballpark, it's going to be full in the midsummer months when school lets out and we have some nice weather. Uh, that ballpark is going to be full because this team's going to draw some fans. It's going to be fun to watch. Hey, we can't wait. Thanks so much, Dan. All right, guys. Great talking with you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dan.